What's up, guys? How's it going? Thank you for joining us. The NTT20 Monday podcast with George Ellick, who is with me, Ali Maxwell. We are recapping the EFL weekend that was two managerial departures and, frankly, some crazy, crazy results across all three leagues, possibly best summed up by the fact that 13 teams were odds-on with the bookmakers. Better than 50% probability, they thought, of winning on the weekend. Only two of 13 won. 11 of 13 failing to win. And George, we're sponsored by the Skybet EFL Rewards app, which truly is the app to have if you're a fan of an EFL club and you like winning prizes. Yeah, I love prizes. Um, I don't know about you. I think you probably do as well. Mm. And in December, Ali, we had a belting campaign, which saw quite a few of our listeners and social media followers win hard cash. And we go again on Easter. Oh, the ultimate prize bundle up for grabs over Easter. This is launching at the start of the week, commencing 29th of March. So this is the time to download the app and get ready and potentially practice this weekend on the predictor. The prize bundle, which will be won by the best predictors from each league over three game weeks, is £1,000 in cash, sure, but also a signed shirt of the club that you support and a replica EFL match ball and a football manager digital code and to top it all off a Papa John's big match bundle worth up to 28.99 so quite the ultimate prize bundle I think it's fair to say the fixtures that you have to predict are as I say over Easter weekend so first up Good Friday the 2nd of April then Easter Monday the 5th of April and then the following Saturday the 10th of April there will be nine total winners of the ultimate prize bundle three per round per league and we want you to get involved with that so as in december when a number of you ended up winning a thousand pounds because you were the best predictors in a certain league in a certain match week and george and i tended to be towards the bottom of the leaderboard well you can go again and try and be the one to win next weekend a thousand pounds cash signed shirt papa john's big match bundle replica EFL match ball and the football manager digital code. Download the Skybet EFL app if you haven't already. Next week, an Easter special. You've got to get involved. George, in the championship this weekend, it was well, it, it feels weird because we're not starting with Norwich City because they didn't make it 10 wins in a row. Instead, we'll start with the side in second place, Watford, who were the only team in the top eight at the start of the weekend to win. They beat Birmingham 3-0, belly broke sweat in this one, really. And, well, most points in the league now since Cisco Munoz's first game on Boxing Day. They've got a six and seven point gap to Swansea and Brentford, respectively, albeit they've played a game more. Just a very good weekend, George, to be a Hornet. And normally I only say that in the south of France in July. (laughs) Not this July, I don't think. No. Uh, or at least I hope not. Well, I, I hope so. But also, yeah, I'm getting myself in a pickle there. I hope everybody has a great summer. Um, <laughs> you know, Watford, I mean, this is the Watford that um, I think we thought we were going to see at the beginning of the season. What now. we wanted and, to see for the whole first half of the season? I think I'm right in saying it's 24 goals in the last seven games. Um, they are rampant. And... Um, I, I nearly sent you a text on Saturday evening, but it was like 9.30 and I knew you were on Quest and I thought you'd probably reply in your cab home. And I thought by then I wouldn't be interested anymore. I wouldn't want to have the conversation, so I didn't. But if you were to start the season now, right? So 
let's everything was wiped out season started now every, every club in their current guys would you would you have norwich as being the most likely team to win the league or would you have watford norwich city i think i agree just but there's not much in it now because this is a watford team who the shackles are off and, and i was one one uh onlooker who thought when the teams came out and Ishmael Assar was was on the bet or so wasn't in the squad wasn't available I thought okay are we now going to see how important he is to this side now he had Isaac's success coming in basically from from the wilderness in terms of starts and it was exactly the same they were just dominant from the word go I know um, grew into the game in the second half but as we always say it's easy to do that when you're when you're when you're two goals behind playing against a side who was so comfortable out of possession and that is the key for me Watford have always been comfortable out of possession this season, even when at their very, very worst, even when Ivic was being sacked, even in those couple of weeks afterwards when we thought Munoz was going to make a difference and it didn't change. They've been a really good defensive side throughout. When personnel's changed, it hasn't mattered. They've always been a good defensive side. What we're seeing now is they are a team who are so good going forward, who are able to unlock the skills of the likes of, of João Pedro, of Will Hughes, who's been a massive, massive plus. Chalaba finally showing the kind of form that we've never really seen from him regularly in first-team football. Ken Semmer proving to be much more than just a... Uh, well, I think he's added more of a goal-scoring threat to his game, can I we say? I thought you were going to say a byline merchant. For some reason, that was the phrase that cropped into my mind because that, for, that is, first half that of the is season, it was just head down, get to the byline, whip in a good exactly. cross. And often not very much else. Um, you know, they're, they're just a much better side now. But we often see when teams, you know, we've seen it with a few sides this season, Rochdale being the most dramatic, but certainly Blackburn, another one who, when they turn on the hot tap, they they manage to, you know, they can't keep the cold one off too. Like they can't, <laughs> they can't work out a way to, to trigger that attacking talent but then also keeping the defensive solidity alongside. And, and Watford have managed to do that this season. When you look at their back four, you know, we talk about the the um, attacking options that they've got. You know, Messina, Femenia, Trustekong and Sirata, even though they may not have had the the kind of plaudits pre-season as the attacking lineups, all four of them are now I see as being, you know, pretty elite level championship um uh, defenders certainly Sirata's come in and made a massive difference oh, so he's been unbelievable and he was so dominant he made Djukovic look like Ilias chair on the weekend like, <laughs> completely dominated him I think Chalaba probably deserves some credit as well we've definitely questioned his performances earlier on in the season he, he is like so many in this Watford squad someone that we've we hold to very high standards because of the career that he's had so far and the talent that it certainly that he was bestowed with as a young player but he seemed right up for it I think he had the armband showed great quality uh, again but but I mean Will Hughes is is the one right if you look at his record since he became fully fit I think he's only started 14 games and they have won almost every single one of them um and yeah it's just it was that that first goal was really good football really good to watch and it and notably so and and yeah very pleasantly yeah not pleasantly surprised but I'm just I'm pleased I guess because it felt like we had the same conversation about Watford about 20 times uh, before February. Um, and we we just kept saying, look, we want to be proven wrong. We want to see this team um, actually look like a legitimate team going forward. Uh, and that's what they're looking like now. And it's, it's put them in a brilliant position because, as I say, six points above Swan, seven above Brentford, George, having, game, having played a game more. That's because Brentford drew this weekend. For the second time in a week, they gave away a lead this time against Forest to draw 1-1. But also, we don't like draws, I'm afraid, because 
Swansea nil, Cardiff one was a thing that happened late on Saturday. 30 years now of being in the same division and still neither team has ever done the double over one another. What did you make of this fierce derby game? You know, I'm a massive fan of this podcast, Ellie. I really am. But sometimes <laughs> I think the way it falls down is if there's something to talk about in the draw and we, and we glaze over it. And it's not a big thing at all. I just noticed that, you know, Guy Tambong is getting a lot of uh, stick from Forest fans. And I, and I think the penalty was was correct. But I, I actually texted you at the time and said, I can't believe Mbomo's missed that. On like third or fourth viewing, that is one of the best blocks I've basically ever seen to block, uh, to, def- to deflect the, the ball over the top from Mbomo just before Forrest get the equaliser. So I wanted to give a man who's getting criticised a lot just a bit of credit because without that block, Brentford win that game 2-0 and it wasn't Mbomo's fault. It was just a brilliant bit of defending. So that is just a bit of credit for, for Bong. Um, Swansea, Cardiff. Um, you know, Cardiff are not a team that you want to go uh, one nil down to early. Um, Swansea's continued issues. Uh, you know, this wasn't a particularly surprising result for anybody who, who's been following Swansea's performance levels over the last few weeks. I mean, Cardiffs haven't necessarily been much higher, but they've still only lost one game under under Mick McCarthy. Um, I mean, there's not a great deal more to add. Cardiff for a side who who are, who are pretty comfortable holding on to leads. Swansea threw a hell of a lot at them and, and actually had a lot of the ball in the second half. But, um, you know, it, the, the best chance of the game at 1-0 fell to Kiefer Moore, who it was a, a bizarre, such a casual finish, uh, trying to roll the ball into the back of the net, having rounded, well, after Freddie Woodman's terrible error. Um, and, you know, Swansea thought they'd equalised with the with the disallowed goal, but not to be. Um, but yeah, Swansea have to, you know, in my view, I, I was pretty surprised to hear Dean Ashton say, in the quest um, analysis that he reckons one of Swansea or Cardiff will get promoted because, you know, if Swansea are going to get promoted, they have to get a hell of a lot better than they are at the moment. And if Cardiff are going to get promoted, then they have to get into the playoffs. And I'm, I'm intrigued to know who they're going to get in the playoffs ahead of. I think that Cardiff might have scored the most goals from set pieces in the whole of European football. And I say that because, I mean, they're miles clear in the championship. Who scored reckon they've scored 20 who scored reckon they've scored uh, <laughs> 23 goals from set pieces and that's not including pens and they've got elsewhere in the in the top five european leagues monaco have 18 that's five five goals fewer than cardiff uh across lee across the efl hull have got 18 that's the next best in the efl per who scored and now if anyone can find me a team that has scored more set piece goals than cardiff this season I am all ears because I can't find one. And of course, that's what made the difference. It was a it was an astonishing save by Woodman, wasn't it? Sadly, mm. he could only poke it out to uh, to the hungry Aidan Flint. And yeah, I just I can't get enough of that that stat that neither team's ever done the double over each other. That that adds to it, is it incredible. being one of the great derbies. Like because that's that's unbelievable, isn't it? No one's mm. ever had the like absolute seasonal bragging rights. Magnificent. Now in the championship, it was a huge weekend at the bottom. You have to say because we've we've covered Birmingham being burned by Watford's hot tap, and <laughs> that was compounded by the fact that two teams below them picked up big wins. Two teams in the relegation zone, no less. George. Uh, Barnsley had won, was it 9 out of 10 when they hosted Sheffield Wednesday? Now it's 9 out of 11. Sheffield Wednesday getting a huge win, their first under Darren Moore. Now, 
Last week, you told me Sheffield Wednesday are playing much better under Darren Moore, even though they'd lost every game. And I said, well, I'm looking forward to them beating Huddersfield in midweek. They did not beat Huddersfield in midweek. but They, they came close. But they did get a point for the first time in eight games. Uh, and here's the win away at Barnsley. Obviously, really impressive stuff. Really impressive. I mean, it was... I'm not going to sit here and say that I would... That I called it and that this was anything but a, a smash and grab, really, because um, I think if if Sheffield Wednesday were going to win this game, it was probably always going to be against the run of play. I think basically any team that beats Barnsley, it's probably going to be against the run of play because they're, they're hardly going to have much territory. Oh, I don't uh, think Barnsley, <laughs> from what I saw, did a huge amount, certainly not from open play, although that's nothing no. new. No, no, I agree. But even so, in terms of, of who was the likelier, I, I guess, when the... Um, when both well certainly when the first goal was scored, I thought uh, I thought Barnsley were on top, but um, and then you know and then the second comes from I don't know what Callum Styles was really doing, but I, I'm you know you're making it sound like I'm trying to take anything away from Darren Moore, and I want to give Dazzler all the credit. Yeah, um, and I, I, it got me thinking on Saturday that it's, people keep talking about Moore's decision to go to Sheffield Wednesday because you know Donny might go up or whatever. I think that the more I think about it, the, you know, I think even if Sheffield Wednesday got relegated and he was there next season and Donny would win a different league, you know, he's got the, uh, and I know that the, you know, the chairman and Pick there are issues with, with the ownership what, as well. I know, I know, told, George. I know that, but he's, uh, as a manager, he's at a club now where it's just, it's basically a different ballpark in terms of what is achievable and results like this just go to show that you know and we've said earlier before this really really poor run of form before more came in and at the beginning of more coming in Sheffield Wednesday were not a relegation threat inside that changed you know that did change but for, for the majority of the season when they were in the drop zone they were there because of their points deduction so it, it shouldn't take much for him to, to instigate the improvement needed to get out of this mess now obviously the results initially have meant that it's going to be very difficult for them to stay up but by no means impossible and, and a return to some kind of performance some acceptable performance level should do it it didn't really help that Rotherham got the win as well that we'll talk about um but in Jordan Rhodes they've got they've got a striker who seems to score in bursts uh, when he does score and, and, that, and that's happening at the moment and he's certainly someone thriving and, and personally as a, as a neutral I'm much happier seeing Sheffield Wednesday lining up with Jordan Rhodes playing up front and Callum Patterson playing as a lone striker, I have to say. Um, he's, got know, the, think... he's got the best, and this is caveated by the fact that he, he's, he's only played about 950 minutes, but the best goals per shot numbers, basically been scoring one in every two and a half, three shots uh, in the whole of the championship, which very much fits the Jordan Rhodes poacher, pure poacher profile. Because I dare say if we dug into some of his underlying numbers in terms of build-up play or impacting the game without the ball or outside the six-yard box, then it probably wouldn't stack up as well. And that that's the big that's the big thing with Rhodes, right? Yeah, I mean, he's always been a, a very good finisher. I, I think even when... Um, I think the, the reasons why he hasn't been prolific more recently hasn't been because of his finishing ability. It's probably due to physicality. You know, he's never been someone who's particularly quick. And I think that's that's dipped even further even though he's a very good, as we saw with the first goal, he's a very good finisher with his head. You know, he's never somebody who's going to be particularly dominant. And you look at the team that he plays in, in Sheffield Wednesday, they're not a team who create plenty of chances. So, yeah, I mean, if Darren Moore can find a, a way and with the quality they've got out wide, you know, on, on the weekend it was Palmer and, and Reach, they should be able to find a way to create those kind of chances for him. 
and and I, and I believe he'll score goals. He's just somebody who's not going to add a great deal more than the goals themselves. Out of possession, you're probably looking at playing with 10 men. Um, but yeah, I, I, this is another result that have been coming. It's another um, example of, of seeing where performances are improving before results bearing fruit. It's just a bit of a blow for them that their next game is going to Fortress Vicarage mm-hmm. because um, not many teams go there and win and, and they need points pretty quickly. A lot of love in the Sunday scouting reports for Osezi Uragide, 20-year-old mm. defender who played right centre-back in a back three in this game. Um, he didn't play a single minute for Sheffield Wednesday this season in the league before the last game in January. Um, but since then, he's made nine starts. Uh, this was his best performance to date. Uh, he's an interesting one because a lot of people r- will remember young Osezi for being the happiest man ever to make his <laughs> debut as a professional footballer. I think it was in the Cup last season. Uh, he played a starring role in the Sheffield Wednesday FA Cup win and his interview went rather viral because of the incredible smile that was just plastered across his face, the humility that he showed in that interview and ju- just how how excited he seemed to be that, that he was now a professional footballer. And I mean, we spoke about him after that because we did a bit of digging. He'd been on the books at AFC Wimbledon. He hadn't been offered a contract or he hadn't signed a contract with Wimbledon, I think, after his scholarship. Uh, and so Sheffield Wednesday uh, took a punt on him because um, they thought they could mould him into into something interesting. Now, obviously, Sheffield Wednesday, not the best place to be for a 19, 20-year-old defender who probably hasn't fully developed yet. But um, Darren Moore, as we know, if there's one thing that he's consistently been cre- been given credit for as a manager, it's developing young players and, and trusting them more so than most managers. And this is another example of it because look, I, I can't profess to know a ton about the, the ins and outs of Uruguide's game. But I think the suggestion is that you know he's versatile. He's played all across the back line already and he's got the sort of physical qualities and um, plenty to develop into, I think. He's, he's the sort of player that scouts think, yeah, yeah, you know, with the right tutelage and with a bit of game time, this guy could could become something quite special. So um, it was notable against the Barnsley side that really do test out young centre-backs and old centre-backs that uh, he stood up really, really well. So um, fair play to him. And for Barnsley, you know, this is just a slight change of tone from me here, George, but we've loved the Barnsley story. We've celebrated it all the way, but you're in the playoff places now. And, you know, my I'm now holding you to higher standards. And uh, this was a poor performance. And... You know, we spoke last week about how in the run that they've had, they've scored about 65% of their goals from set-piece situations. They did so again here. It was kind of long throw, wasn't it? Deflected shot from Morris. If they are to if they are to win the playoffs, even maybe if they're to maintain this over the next eight games and make the playoffs, I, th- I do think they're going to have to improve in that sense. I really think they have to improve in open play if they're to, you know, to be as good as everyone is so excited about them. But being. then... I would say that that's basically the perfect playoff team is a team who are very good at preventing the opposition from creating chances. You know, Sheffield Wednesday only had six shots in that, in that game on the weekend and are, you know, have the, um, the marginal gains edge of being set piece proficient. You know, you look at Fulham against, um, against Brentford, although Fulham were the better team that day, they effectively got up into the Premier League due to some brilliant training ground out of the box thinking that earned them a goal. Maybe North, a fr- maybe Northampton would be a good comparison from last Yeah, season. although they they just battered everybody, you know. <laughs> I mean, I, it, there are obviously similarities in terms of their style of play with, with Barnsley, I guess. So, uh, you know, I, I think that if I was Swansea or, or Brentford, I'd probably 
see Barnsley as the most awkward tie because you've got to work out, you know, you, you've got so many different ways to um, to anticipate that they're going to be a threat and so many difficulties in terms, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of England in the in the World Cup, for whatever it was, five years ago, for three years ago. Um, a team who who just having that set-piece ability, and it's not, you know, it, it's not... Um, one-dimensional, the ability of Barnsley to create chances from set pieces. They're clever in, in how they do it. They've got brilliant delivery. It's not easy just to come up against a side and think, right, they're good at set pieces, let's stop them. Um, because most teams will do that. So I definitely know what you mean. And I think in terms of of um, over the next eight games, they might get found out. But I think going into what is effectively a knockout competition, having that having both of those strings to their bow make them a pretty um, formidable contender. Big, big result. Again, at the bottom was Bristol City nil, Rotherham 2. We know that Rotherham have got this bizarre situation where they've got a ton of games to make up. Um, they're now three points behind Birmingham, who are just the other side of the dotted line, but they've got four games in hand. Now, this will help going to Ashton Gate, leaving 2-0 winners. And it strikes me, George, that when you get to the point of praising Rotherham, as we did quite heavily a few months ago, and saying it's different this time from the last two relegations, it's all, you know, you don't understand, it's different, it's more legit. Then they fall away, as they have done, and they drop into the relegation zone. And then just when you start thinking, maybe it's all a bit too much for them, you know, they've been impacted by COVID recently, big outbreak, and got all these games to play, and Maybe the you know that maybe they're just going to fall short and they've just overdone it a little bit. They come roaring back and get a big away win, and mm. that's the the Rotherham way. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, it's true, isn't it? There was a period where you specifically were like Rotherham are really good, and everyone needs to yeah. realise that they're really good. But then Rotherham weren't very good for quite a while after that. Yeah, another team, a bit like Bristol City, only five draws this season. So it kind of shows that they run either very hot or very cold. Um, and they here were very good. I think I think the thing about Rotherham is that, is what I've said before, is that even when they're poor, they're still awkward. They're still a difficult team to play against. Um, and they obviously have the the attacking talents, I guess, to, to, to break teams down, maybe. It was a a very good header from Smith, although you have to blame Daniel Bentley for coming off his line when not needed. Um, and the second was it was a pretty lucky goal. I mean, they're just an awkward side to play against. And it's difficult for them now because they are in a false position. Um, not to say they won't go down, but if their season had played out as everybody else has had, or if we were to rank the teams in the championship based on points per game, they wouldn't be in the in the bottom three. Their goal difference is, is better than pretty much every other team in the bottom seven or eight, uh, which also goes some way to show their strength or their weakness, I guess, in terms of how tight their games are. Um, and they're probably still seen as being the third most likely team to get relegated, which I don't know. I don't know if that's necessarily right. I think consistently they give teams enough of a threat. They pose enough of a threat in games that they should be able to get the three points to bring them to Birmingham or the four points to get them to, to Coventry or even the five points to get them to Derby. Um, I, I just think this is a, a, a kind of clear example here with Rotherham where the the league table tells a narrative that, that isn't actually reality. I, I don't think Rotherham at this stage are more likely to go down than not. It was one of those games that Daniel Bentley... Well, that I recognise Daniel Bentley as having every now and then. <laughs> Certainly for the last few seasons. But then this season, 
he was almost exempt from the championship goalkeeper curse for about 30 games. And now we've been reminded now he's there. as if we'd ever forgotten, as if I'd ever let us forget, we've been reminded why the championship goalkeeper curse exists. And uh, that's Lest we forget. Uh, yeah, a couple of ricks in the last few games after such a good season in general. Um, it's going to be interesting to see when this Rotherham extra fixture is played. They've got a game against Coventry. They have to squeeze it in somewhere. There, there, there are no, there, there isn't a midweek or weekend slot where they can play it. Obviously, so they might have to play a a Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, which seems pretty Quite a fun idea. intense. Not least because of the fact that it's Coventry they'll be playing against, and that George strikes me as it'll almost be like a playoff game. It could be anyway, given the position that they're in. Um, both of those play teams. At the, play at the end of the season. Just <laughs> wait until everything else is finished. And then play that one on the, like the Tuesday after the end of the season weekend. I'm sure Birmingham would love that to happen. Um, <laughs> okay, we've got the first of the managerial newses uh, on this episode. Preston nil, Luton one. Oh, Neil, Alex Neil <laughs> uh, departs Preston after a good few years actually in charge, and there's reaction needed to that. Bit of context is Preston. Last 12 games, second worst record in the league um, from basically just the end of January up to now. Two wins, two draws, eight defeats. And a bizarre one, you love flagging up teams that don't draw games. Well, that's very much the case for PNE this season. They've lost 20 of their 38 league games, more than half. And yet they don't seem, to my eyes, particularly threatened by relegation. So a bit of a funny one this, George, a manager that I think we've both got quite a lot of time for, to be honest. It's interesting that you say you don't think they're threatened by relegation because you have to assume that the owners disagree, surely, Definitely. because other, otherwise you wait. I'm sure they do, uh, but they've got much it, more to lose than I do if they do get relegated. You know, but it, it wasn't long ago that Preston were, were putting out all the stops to reject advances from Bristol City for Alex Neal. Um, I mean, it was, in fact, it was about a year ago. And West Brom before that, I believe. Exactly. Mm. Um, and... I I don't think anybody from the outside looking in thought that Alex Neal was doing anywhere near as bad a job as Preston seemed to. I still think, you know, it, the issue, Ali, when we do about 100 podcasts a year is you can often repeat yourself, but Preston's um, ability to punch above their weight, both under Alex Neal and under Simon Grayson, it has to be said, doesn't mean that that is, has to be the level that, that the... Um, managers have to live up to surely like I, I just don't see how being in 16th place despite former glories with with a, a similar squad can be perceived as being failure you know you've got a Blackburn side two points above them whose investment in the playing squad totally dwarfs Preston's you know and, and surely the, the recruitment strategy of Preston you look at the players that they bring in the exception recently being Chad Evans like it, it just feels like a project it doesn't feel like a a, a team who are, who are going all out to try and get promotion. I agree. So, and devil, I, I guess the devil's advocate here is the suggestion, which we hear a lot at other clubs throughout the season, maybe it was going a bit stale. What would you say to that? But then how, how is it meant to end? A Preston just going to be in perpetual cycles of bringing in decent young managers and then when they overachieve and finish outside the playoffs but clear of safety they, they get a new manager in. I mean I, it's really hard to say I, I just think that Preston have been 
I'm not, I'm not going to say lucky because there were there were two fantastic appointments. And how often do we talk about sacked managers as being fantastic appointments? But Grayson and Neil both have to go down as that, forgetting Preston so close to those playoffs on on numerous occasions. But I just think that Preston are, are basically an, an average appointment away from being relegated. I completely and agree. So, so therefore, t- so taking that chance and getting rid of a manager who who has never really, except for that terrible, terrible run at the beginning of the season, what, three seasons to go. And then they went from 24th to 12th in about two weeks. Um, except for that, they, they've always been clear, this is the closest they've been and they've pulled the trigger. I think we see probably, what, 30, 20% of managerial appointments go down as being you know, a proper success in the first couple of years. So they're up against it now. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, really worried, to be honest, because... You know, at at their best under Neil. In fact, no, not at their best under Neil. Their their average level, I would say, under Neil. Not, and I'm not talking about the last ten games or so. Were they were, as uh, as was written on Deepdale Digest by Ollie Dawes, they were energetic, committed, and a side that nobody in the Championship wanted to face. But not in the same way that Rotherham and Wickham or Barnsley even, who play Uber Direct, are a team that you mm. don't want to face because they're direct and physical. But they had more about them than that. He has, or he has over the last three seasons, pretty consistently had his best players taken away from him and replaced, certainly not like for yeah. like. And as you say, that's the realities of Preston's like organic budget. Their revenue isn't high and that's no one's fault. There's not that I don't necessarily blame the owner for not putting more money into the club. But where we used to think their recruitment was quite clever and quite savvy and used to, and, and helped them build a good squad for Neil um, on a shoestring, that hasn't been the case for the last two years, you have to say. Now, they kind of went through a rebuild in January to an extent, which is rare. And, and again, you have to think not particularly helpful for a manager. Um, and in the last few weeks, you know, he's been chopping and changing a lot, maybe too much, but... Another another local writer, George Hodgson, called it going into battle without a sword. And I think that's kind of hard to argue with. So, yeah, I'm worried like you are, um, because, as you say, a poor appointment and or poor summer recruitment, I could easily see them being uh, in a relegation battle next season. So we'll wait and see who they go for. Um, on the flip side, for Neil, there's, there is a manager who's not even 40 years old yet, but is already mm. more experienced than most managers at this level, who's... And everyone loves this one, who's got out the level before. He's got out of this division before <laughs> with Norwich. To whatever extent that makes a difference, I don't know. But people love that. You know, this is a this this, this guy should be a catch for, for championship clubs looking for managers now. I think maybe needs a bit of a rest uh, over the next few months. But I would expect Alex Neil to be above Preston in the table, put it that way, in a year's time or in 18 months' time, um, wherever he pops up next. So uh, big, big, big appointment for Preston North End there. Let's just talk about Luton, though, because significant milestone this. Uh, this win meant that Nathan Jones has had 46 games, a full season, so to speak, since he took over uh, during lockdown last year. They've got 66 points from those 46 games, George. That is good enough. I looked over the last few years normally for about 9th, 10th, 11th place. So a top half, than most. A top half team uh, since Nathan Jones took over for the second time. That is you know that should not be overstated they're a team who do draw quite a lot of games and maybe we don't speak about as much because they have been 
fairly mid tabley all season. But you know, let's let's take the opportunity to uh, to ram home the point Should that we... Nathan Jones and Luton continues to be a team that and a manager that we like a lot. Should we do a pod next week where we just talk about the teams that have drawn? Ugh. <laughs> so Nobody hates Jaws. The only person who hates Jaws more than you is someone in Bristol City. Um, yeah, I uh, I think Luton have been trending very positively recently. I think that they have improved. They now look like a side who are justifying the good results, whereas before it felt a little bit like they were running a bit hot, like they were fairly reliant on a James Collins, who at the moment isn't um, necessarily a starter, even though he played his part in the goal. I also loved that Dean Ashton thought that it was deliberate him smacking into the keeper. It's the kind of thing that I hope I would do if I was in that situation as well. Um, and I can and I can kind of see it as well, um, because what else are you going to do from there? Um, but yeah, I mean, Luton, they created loads of chances here. They were, they were really, really impressive. I think Jones has shown himself to be so much more tactically astute than he was given credit for previously. You know, so much talk about the diamond and the diamond's return and, and all this stuff. But I think he's shown now that he can play two up front, he can play one up front. He's a, he's a, a manager who um, is very capable of, of mixing things up and, and putting out sides who, in a, in a similar vein to what Alex Neal's done, who, who, who belie their, their financial um, footprint on the league. And, um, I'm I'm really excited to see what Luton do next season because, you know, I think what you and I have learnt, um, given who they've appointed to to do the a lot of the recruitment work in the summer, is that they're going to be looking to recruit uh, the right way, and they've already got a pretty exciting team, and they've got a manager who we like a lot. So, yeah, Luton are, are one of my circle teams for uh, the championship 21-22. Couple of things on this, absolutely bizarre away record this season the the 14th best in the league away record Luton nothing too weird about that seven wins two draws ten defeats nothing too weird about that either but all seven of their away wins have been one nil wins they've only scored nine goals in 19 away league games that's less than a goal every other game and yet from those nine goals they've managed to eke out seven wins uh, and a draw now you might say maybe be better if you created and took more chances lads but i'm quite enjoying it as a quirk and as an aside they're kind of part of this but this is a league-wide thing um did you know that there's been a huge underperformance of expected goals across the championship this season you might not have known that there's only seven teams who are overperforming their xg and or, and no one by more than six goals which at this stage isn't particularly big there are mm. therefore 17 teams underperforming their expected goals numbers who, whose finishing has been poor you would say and some of them like quite significantly there's there's 11 teams who are five goals uh, or under there are five teams including Luton who are 10 goals or more under their <laughs> expected goals numbers which is quite wow. crazy QPR Luton yeah. Derby Forest and Wickham so there you go it's kind of uh, maybe they're all very tired and they can't finish but then I or, may, or maybe we're going to see an absolute goal glut between now and the end of the season. <laughs> that would be nice, wouldn't it? Uh, George, when I said to you that we were going to talk about Millwall 1, Middlesbrough 0 and Stoke 1, Derby 0, you said we're almost at that point of the season where, I mean, there's not much else to say here, is there? Yeah, not really. Um, <laughs> Derby are in a bit of trouble. They need to um, work out a way to, to score again. Um, it was... 
a blow for them to not build on their comeback against Brentford, which you thought could be one of those performances and results that really kick-started their season. Uh, but to lose 1-0 to Stokeside, who... Yeah, I, mean, I, mean, I basically, of all the teams in the EFL at the moment, the one I want to talk about the least is Stoke, because it is just not very exciting in any way, shape or form. I'm looking forward to Tyrese coming back, hopefully early next season and still playing for them in the championship because that'll give them a new dimension. Um, but under Michael O'Neill, it's it's pretty drab and, and under Wayne Rooney, Derby are pretty drab at the moment too. So no surprises there in that one. And then, yeah, a good result for Millwall who've struggled to win at home recently back to the kind of results that we, we expect from them. I thought they were quite good, you know. I'm going to yeah. give a little bit more enthusiasm in that Do one. Uh, impressive performance, I felt. Uh, and I'd like to, obviously, we've got Justice for Ilias Chair campaign. And alongside that, I'm going Justice for Jedley as well because he doesn't get the assist for what is one of the most evidently assisted goals I've ever seen because it was an own goal. Uh, he tells me that's his, se- that's his second one of this season as well. Uh, and if you look at Y Scout expected assist data, um, you know, which obviously doesn't take into account whether their teammate let them down or whether their teammate finished the chance. Jed Wallace second best in the league for expected assists, only behind Emmy Buendia. So, you know, he was famous last year for having the division's only double double, double figure goals, double figure assists. Now, technically, he's on eight goals and four assists this season, and it might feel like a drop off, but I think if you delve a little deeper, you find that uh, Jed's performance has barely wavered, and with a bit of you know, with some better finishing from some of his mates, he might be right up there again uh, this season. And then, yeah, just for Millwall, I'm interested if they can finish strong. If if that performance gets gets uh, extrapolated over the next few games, then a top ten finish could be on the cards. Which you know, when the dust settles, we'll look back as being pretty impressive, especially given that they only won one game in fifteen at one point. That's like. That's over a quarter of the season where they barely won a game. So there you go. International break for the championship. So next week will be fully League One and League Two. And um, just for international purposes, obviously I'll be mostly following England under-21s because that's how I like to roll. But (laughs) Jamaica are the uh, team for us to follow in this international break, George, because in their midst, Jamaica, I mean, it's basically just half of it is just a championship 11 and it's making me really happy. They've got... Mariapa, mm. Michael Hector, Curtis Tilt, Amari Bell, Ethan Pinnock, Liam Moore, Wesley Harding. So they're going to have to play upwards of seven defenders. Um, and then Andre Gray up top, uh, Jamal Lowe buzzing around, and Casey Palmer as well. So Jamaica is who we're is who we're um, watching in this international break. The reggae boys, which I'm pretty excited about. Jamaica? Nah, she went of her own accord. We have got League One and League Two fixtures in midweek, so make sure that you're using the Skybet EFL Rewards app to check into your team's fixtures. You play the spinner for a chance to win prizes. You know what they are by now, but also it's probably worth practicing the predictor both in midweek and in League One and League Two this weekend because, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we've got our ultimate prize bundle over Easter across three game weeks, Friday the 2nd, Monday the 5th and Saturday the 10th. If you are top of the predictor leaderboard for your chosen division in one of those game weeks, you're going to win an ultimate prize bundle, including £1,000 in cash, but also a signed shirt, a replica EFL match ball, a football manager digital code, and Papa John's big match bundle worth £28.99. <laughs> George, League One, I'll tell you who hopefully treated themselves to a Papa John's big match bundle, Danny <laughs> and Nicky Cowley. In my head, they're probably in a flat in Portsmouth, 
you know, they've just arrived with one suitcase. They got straight to work and picked up a very impressive first win uh, in a good game against Paul Cook's Ipswich Town. Some people were calling this the EFL on Quest derby after the amount of punditry they've done this season. The, the, the veteran listeners of Not The Top 20 pod were calling it the NTT20 Questions derby. Uh, regardless, Danny came out on top. Well, yeah, why don't I take... I'll take the, the appointment and then you can take the game. Okay. Um, I, I'm really excited about the Cowleys at, at Pompey. Um, it's interesting to note that they've only signed a deal to the end of the season. And I'd be really interested to know if this is at their request, which I anticipate is probably more likely or if it's a Portsmouth's because, um, you know, the Cowleys are pretty ambitious and I wonder if they're coming to this thinking, right, let's have a proper go at getting us up. If we get promoted, then we're in the championship. If not, then they'll know, they'll understand going into the summer, how much input and influence they're going to have over all things because, <clears throat> you know, the, the Cowleys, um, I think want to have more input on what's going on at the, at the club that they're involved at, as we saw at Huddersfield and the reasons why they left than just being training ground managers on the grass. You know, they are two guys who are pretty bright. You have a good idea of how they want to analyze oppositions of how they want to play. I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if they're still there next season, you know, it's probably too soon to do this season. I wouldn't be surprised to see Portsmouth playing a, a brand of football that we probably wouldn't necessarily associate with the Cowleys. You know, Lincoln, they they went about it a certain way. Again, very, very good at set pieces, um, which we saw uh, against Ipswich with the first goal from Naylor. Um, and they were known to be fairly attritional. At times at Huddersfield, we saw them keeping the ball more. I have a feeling at Pompey, given that they, for the first time pretty much in their whole career, will have the more technically gifted players in the league at their disposal if they're in, if they're in league 1 we might see a different different kind of cowley ball than what we've been used to but um you know it's you're always going to get some managers um and their reputations being slandered by opposition fans and it, it does make me laugh seeing people calling them frauds and stuff on on social media it's it's often it reminds me a bit of what appleton you know of, of appleton's reputation where people just look at being sat from Huddersfield and, and make deductions from that. And and the job that they did at Lincoln is, is was way, way more than just, um, you know, managing a decent football team. Their time at that club basically reinvented the whole club. Lincoln City as a football team, when they came in to when they left, was totally, totally different from top to bottom in terms of the way that the club was run, in terms of the way they played football, the level they were operating at as well. Not many, um, not many managers at, it can ever say that they've done that at a club. No, 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 I completely agree. And that's why I think, you know, Huddersfield, they obviously had a difference of opinion with the owner in terms of how much influence they should have. Um, at Portsmouth, you've got uh, an owner in Michael Eisner who's got, got definitely got the, the financial clout to, to make them pretty competitive, who's shown himself to be far, far more patient than the fans, which again, isn't necessarily the most common you know, money and patience isn't a combination we often see in football with, with football ownership. Um, I, and I wouldn't be surprised if they are afforded the control that they want. So I, I'm excited to see. I, I basically really hope that no matter where they are next season, the Cowleys are, are still there in the next campaign. Um, and it was a it was a hell of a start, Ali, as you can tell us without you know without any strikers, Ellis Harris, Ellis Harrison, and uh, Marquis both out for the game, but it didn't matter. Yeah, at 1-1, I did say to Dean Ashton, we were watching this one together, I said, I don't think 
with all due respect to Geordie Hirula, he would be Danny and Nicky Cowley's idea of who they would like to be leading the line for their Pompey team. But, I mean, and that's doing him a slight disservice. He didn't play poorly, but he just, I wouldn't say he was thriving. Um, But a lot of the other players around him were. He said beforehand he wanted more intensity, more energy, more aggression in terms of uh, turning the ball over, increasing the ball speed in possession. Now, those are things that a lot of new managers say. Those are things that he will have known uh, were would be music to the Pompey fans' ears. So, you know, the proof needs to be in the pudding. And it absolutely was, in fairness. Not the perfect performance by any means. Of course, they went 1-0 down here. A really nice uh, a really nice goal um, that Norwood finished off for Ipswich. But equalising through a set piece and then... Yeah, as I said on Quest, it was a it was a well balanced game. They did not absolutely dominate Ipswich here, but in the space of forty eight hours, this Pompey team looked very very different in a very very exciting manner for their fans. And I was most impressed with the way they coped with taking the lead. Um, there are a lot of teams that sit back and invite pressure, and sometimes that can be a good way to frustrate the opposition. And if you're very well structured and if you defend your box well then it can be a good way of seeing out games, but it also increases the amount of time the opposition spend close to your goal, increases the chance of uh, a lucky bounce or a goal from range, taking a deflection, um, and they were proactive in their approach when when ahead, and that was great to see. You know, They spent the whole of injury time in Ipswich's half basically looking like they were kind of pressing for a third goal, and, and you know, given... Given the quality that Ipswich have, given the, the 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 league table positions of the two sides going into it, that's not a given. Like a lot of teams, and dare I say it, Kenny Jackets Portsmouth would have just tried to sit on that lead, and uh, and that's another reason why the Pompey fans were so happy this weekend. So look, it's one game. They've done. They've beaten Ipswich three times this season. So let's remember, Kenny Jackets Portsmouth beat Ipswich twice as well in the last few months. Um, but the transformation in a short period of time is very very encouraging. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do. They've got, as we talked about on the show, a very favourable fixture list. Now, beating the teams in the bottom half handsomely might have been one thing that I don't necessarily remember Lincoln being like particularly impressive at, to be honest. that That's a feature of some clubs. They tend to play better against the teams around them than they do when, when the onus is on them to dominate the ball and to create chances. So there'll be plenty more tests to come, but it's it's very, very exciting times, I must say. Less exciting for Oxford because he lost 2-0 to Blackpool. George Dark Horses Blackpool, under the radar Blackpool, uh, all sorts of those nicknames for the Tangerines at the moment. I mean, impressive as Blackpool were and as they have been in the last 12 when no one in the league's picked up more points than them and they've only conceded five in that last 12. I mean, this one, I thought there was a glitch in the highlights because every highlight was just <laughs> an, an in-swinging corner being headed in by a, by a tall Blackpool player. Yeah, uh, and I think when you've got Elliot Moore and Rob Atkinson as your two centre backs, you shouldn't really be be being done so consistently for um, for set pieces. And, and Carl Robinson said after the game, I mean, it's pretty reductive, and I don't necessarily agree with it. But he said the difference today was that their set piece delivery was incredible, and our set piece delivery was appalling. I think you know their set piece delivery was was very good, and the defensive part of it. Um, was very poor. I'm not sure <clears throat> set piece delivery can ever be as good as to be undefendable um, consistently. And I think Blackpool are kind of similar in a way to to Rotherham in terms of the league table not doing them justice. I think Blackpool are not far off being a, a, a playoff lock in my head. Um, you know, they're 
They're four points behind Doncaster, having played one game fewer. They are three points behind Charlton, having played having played three four games fewer. You know, they they if they trundle home in kind of one point five points per game going forward, of which they're massively exceeding at the moment, they walk into one of those fifth or sixth places. Um, and when you think that the run of form they're in is over the best part of the season because they had such a poor start. Uh, you don't really see any reason why they wouldn't continue to go up there. They're, they're very, very solid. They're not necessarily a team who create plenty of chances, but they're good from set pieces. They've got in Jerry Yates, uh, a lively goal scorer who can who can come alive in the box. They've got Gary Medine to be that target man as well. Plenty of talent. CJ Hamilton being back from injury really is, you know, another another brilliant addition to their forward line. They're just a very, very well-rounded, very good team whose squad on paper is one of the best in the division and in Neil Critchley we're seeing they've got a manager who's learning on the job and is very effectively doing it so um you know as is often the case when I'm you know I'm 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 looking at the reaction of Oxford fans after a defeat which I see more often than other fans because I am one it's so funny how rarely you see the opposition getting getting praise and it's all about we did this wrong we did that wrong Blackpool are just a good team just a really good side who are going to beat teams fairly comfortably if they're not at it and that's what happened Fleetwood lost 2-0 to Swindon now along with Blackpool Fleetwood were one of the teams who headed into the weekend in really good form quietly starting very well under Simon Grayson Um, but they lost 2-0 to a Swindon side who went from 24th to 19th in the space of 90 minutes which just shows how insane it is down at the bottom at the moment Uh, of course last Monday we spoke about John Sheridan more or less hinting that he was going to leave because he was letting everyone down. But then he didn't leave and he's gone and led them to a 2-0 win against Fleetwood. I mean, Scott Twine at the double. And I was really encouraged by the fact that they weren't 30-yard wobbly free kicks or strikes from range because that's that's an established Scott Twine threat now. We know that he has that in his locker, maybe more so than any other player, certainly in League 1 and League 2, and that that's a great threat. But... As most people listening to the pod know, we also think that ideally you don't have someone taking five or six shots from outside the box every single game for the, for the purpose of a good, uh, highly functioning attacking team. And so to see him scoring two really well-taken goals inside the box, um, picking up good positions and finishing well, that reflects very well on, on the development of his game and projects for me quite well for him going forward as well. Um, so, you know, he was the reason they won this game basically with two Really smart finishes. Um, born in Swindon, playing for Swindon, back from Newport in January, and well, as it stands, they're nineteenth, which sounds great. But as we know, uh, so much will still happen at the bottom between now and the end of the season. Burton lost for the first time, not the first time in a while, but we haven't seen that very often. Two-one to an MK Don side who have now won three games in a row. That was uh, following Russell Martin telling us why we should trust the process. So that's he's come out very well from that, I would say. Uh, and a top half finish potentially on the side on the on the cards for MK George. I, I I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but if MK do finish in and around the top half, I can see us getting you know I can see us predicting pretty good things for them next season because there there has been a lot to like. This is a, this is probably a classic case of if you don't follow them closely, you might wonder what all the fuss is all about. But there are to our eyes anyway some signs that there's something quite special potentially going on at MK. Definitely. Definitely. And when you see certain young players um, improving as the season goes on as well, and you look at the recruitment in January, 
and you think of, of Russell Martin being as a manager, some you know a, a novice, I guess, in this game who's who's improving too. I would, um, yeah, I wouldn't be sleeping on 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 NK Dons. I have a feeling next season they're going to be be really, really good, really impressive. Dean Lewington made it 800 games in an MK Dons show, which is uh, quite <clears throat> astonishing longevity, you have to say. And congratulations to him. Uh, Accrington beat Wigan 3-1. They needed this, you have to say, because they'd only won one in eight before uh, the weekend. Accrington, I think, a bit of revenge here because they were in really good form, you might remember, around Christmas time. And then they got beaten 4-3 in a ridiculous game against Wigan. They would have left there completely baffled as to how they'd lost the game um, and so to, to go down after 30 seconds here to Callum Lang uh, and to get essentially three assists from McConville I'm not sure if you actually technically get an assist uh, in Opta terms for winning a penalty I know you do on FPL but uh, not legally sadly otherwise it would have been a hat-trick of assists from McConville who I mean I love stuff like this McConville's been setting up goals for Aki I, I know he had a period away from them but essentially for 11 years now, um, the quality that he has will never go away. And even as he gets older and even as Accrington rise up the leagues, you've still got Sean McConville doing the business for them. And that is, that's the beauty of the EFL, I think, at times. And then, George, uh, Northampton nil, Crew 1, or Plymouth 2, Bristol Rovers nil. I mean, spoilt for choice there. Which one would you like to go <laughs> for first? Am I? Uh, I'm sad for Northampton because I thought when I was... Watching John Brady crying at the end of that game all just felt so significant. And I felt like this was it for Cobblers and they were going to get away from the relegation zone and ride off into the sunset with their beautiful Australian caretaker manager. Um, but it hasn't really been the case. They've struggled again in recent weeks. They seem to struggle to score goals, um, a massive issue for them. Playing against Oxford in midweek, which is going to be a difficult game, you think, at home. Um and up against a crew side who've, who've been defeated 3-0 twice in their last three games coming into this one, it was a game of so few chances. Nine shots in the whole game, three for crew. So I, I think Brady's doing a fairly good job of of turning them into a team that are pretty hard to beat. But um, yeah, I, I don't think we're going to see many more four goal victories over um, over teams at the top end of the table. Now I've said that, I bet you they'll beat us 4-0. Um, <laughs> but it's... And Brady has certainly improved them, but it's so tight down towards the bottom of League One. You feel like they have to find a bit of a spark. It all feels a bit Rochdale-y, you know? You, you do so much to tighten the team up that you kind of forget you've actually got to get the goals and create the chances in order to, to get out of the trouble. Um, and, and at the moment, they aren't doing that. Northampton against Wimbledon this weekend, looking pretty spicy indeed. Uh, I mean, as you say, it wasn't a, a classic game. This one bit of quality, you have to say, beautiful assist for Luke Murphy. Um, with the outside of his right foot to Owen Dale, uh, eight goals for Dale this season for Crew. I think um, you know something to something certainly to applaud. He's been a, a good part of a Dale side who I think have done really well um, following League Two promotion. It's looking like a, a fairly solid mid-table finish um, at the moment. They're they're top of the four promoted sides from League Two last season, and um, yeah, I, I'd like to applaud that as well because I, I you know I don't think it's easy for them. They've obviously lost. Perry and G in January. Pickering will be off in the summer. So big challenge now to to maintain this for next season, I would suggest, rather than look necessarily to build on it. Um, but the next batch of Academy products are being bedded in. The likes of Travis Johnson and Rio Adebisi, uh, fullbacks who I guess will replace and G and Pickering. Of course, they, they are allowed to sign players who aren't Crew Academy graduates and, and maybe they'll have 
little bit of financial muscle to do the, uh, to do so this summer. But um, yeah, good win for them. And then, then Argyle, they'd lost five in a row before the weekend. So they really needed to beat Bristol Rovers. And they did so thanks to young Niall Ennis. I've spoken about him on Sky Sports now. I've spoken about him on EFL on Quest. I'm, I feel like a bit of a hype man for Niall Ennis. Um, but two really nicely taken goals. Uh, I must admit, I think Bristol Rovers will be pretty baffled as to how they've not at least scored in this game um, because it was not as comfortable as the 2-0 scoreline suggests, I think, for our guard, it's fair to say. Last bit of managerial news in League One, George, is that Nigel Adkins is the new Charlton manager. This kind of, it was in a, uh, the Bermuda Triangle for us, this. It fell in a in a blind spot where we didn't have a podcast to talk about it, sadly. So this is our chance. What do you think about Nigel Adkins being the replacement for Lee Boyer at Charlton Athletic? I'm happy to have him back in the game. I'm happy to have his post-match interviews back, even though, you know, he's the one manager who, when he's not in the game, you don't, you don't, you're not hard of seeing him because of his social media presence. Um, it's an interesting one, football-wise, because Sheffield United tried this. You know, they tried this where they were a club in League One who needed to get out, who looked back to the job he did at Southampton, taking Southampton from League One through up to the Premier League in a couple of seasons, and it did not go well. Um, and it's it's kind of the one big blemish on Adkins's managerial career is is how poorly it went at Sheffield United. Um, you know he was there for a season, and I think they finished mid-table in League One um, in the season that he was there. Eleventh, they finished um, eight points off the playoffs. So you can see there that he, you know, when you think of what happened to Sheffield United after that, when Chris Wilder came in, um, it wasn't a particularly good job well done. At Hull, though. He didn't leave. You know, it's easy to think back of, of him leaving Hull as being um, a, a negative. But he did a decent job there. He left because he didn't want to be there anymore. He could see what was going on above him. He could, he could see with the ownership issues that it wasn't necessarily a club that was heading in the right direction and moved on for that reason. So it was of no fault of his own. And a, you know, 26 wins and 21 draws from 78 games in the championship with Hull is a, a pretty good effort when you consider what came next. So you know, he's, he's definitely a... A pretty capable manager um but it is that it's that spell at Sheffield United that has me a little bit troubled because this is a tougher job um and, and expectations are going to be incredibly high next year <laughs> I, I'm 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 flagging up a potential if, if, if they don't go up if they don't go up I'm flagging up a potential narrative issue already for him whereby he takes over Charlton in the playoff places that's the top line information that misses mm-hmm. a ton of context because Massively. there are, uh, what are there? There are certainly two teams with a better points per game number than them below them and at least two who are on basically the same number as them. So, you know, they've just played more games than anyone else around them, which means it's quite likely that in a few games time, unless they win every single one of their games, teams, you know, they're going to drop out of the playoff places through no fault of his own, just due to ma- just due to maths. But if you only look at the top line, you know, there might be some who say, well, he came in in the playoffs and now we're not in them anymore, so he's failed. But uh, look, they were not far off beating AFC Wimbledon on the weekend, uh, albeit Don's, you know, gave them a very good game and, and the equalising goal was just a crazy, crazy mistake. I always think when you're watching the highlights, and the highlight starts with a goalkeeper playing a short pass to his defender. You're just waiting for the you're waiting for the mistake, and uh, sure yeah. enough, it came and uh, Longman at the double. League two, George. Lots of things to talk about. We're going deep on League one and League two next Wednesday. So to start with, we'll we'll definitely focus on the three sort of big fixtures pre weekend. 
uh, towards the top of League Two were Cambridge Forest Green, Cheltenham Salford and Tranmere Exeter. And let's start with Cambridge 1, Forest Green 0. I didn't see this coming. Uh, I've been a Cambridge doubter for too long um, and I haven't got much to say after this one because they won the game and they deserved to win the game and there was nothing scabby about it. And if anything, I think we saw maybe the individual performance of the whole season in League 2 from Wes Houlihan, who put together a genuine <laughs> master... I spent 20 minutes earlier on Y Scout just watching his actions from the game and it was a hell of a watch, I tell you. Uh, Mark Cooper, the Forest Green manager, said... He's 38 years old, and I think he's just gone up the tunnel, given his kit to the kit man and said, fold that up for me for next week. He was that good, he didn't even break sweat. Um, but, you know, aside from that, it's it's a significant result as well, as well as a good result. It's a huge win for Cambridge. They, they went into the weekend on the same points as Forest Green, but having played two games more. Um, but as the games tick away, Cambridge is still there in the top three. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's so bizarre with Cambridge who are a team who've basically been in the, in the top three all season who myself included yourself included everybody just assumes that at some stage this season it's gonna fall away but they've got the top scorer in the league by miles in in Paul Mullen um, even if he's never really done this before who missed the penalty they've got quite clearly the best technical footballer in the division in Wes Houlihan even though he's 38 who still shows that he can completely run it when he's on it as he did here you know, the whole the whole Lionel Wessy thing is a bit of a joke, but I mean there was something of Messi in that goal that he scored yeah. and the way that he took it and it went down the left and, and, and the finish as well. Um and, I would and never I, make that comparison, just to be clear, unless there was the nickname um <laughs> only, the nickname parallel. And to pick up on on kind of I think what you're heading down the path towards there, George, only two teams have conceded fewer goals than them as well. Yeah, exactly. You know, defensively they're so sound. Um it's just quite weird that early this season, you know, everyone was very excited about Mark Bonner and all this. And I think everybody just assumed it was going to be a fad and it was going to go away, but it hasn't happened. Um, you know, they're top of the league now into into mid-March, not much longer to go. And if anything, the, the performances are improving. Um, you know, time to respect Cambridge and what they're doing and results and performances like this just show that they're there on merit. So I need to recalibrate where I think um, Cambridge is Cambridge's quality puts them in the division because we can't argue with their spot on top at the moment. And you know who else hadn't had a senior managerial job before his current job? Mike Duff. And it didn't take us very long to start properly respecting Mike Duff and this Cheltenham side. Now, they are at the yeah. top of the table because they beat Salford 2-0 on the weekend. And th there was a bit of a gag made on Quest. Just it, two nil, a 2-0 home win for Cheltenham just feels like the most like solid classic Cheltenham result I know they've only actually had three of them this season but I think the point still stands whether it's true or not that they are so professional when they're at their best and they dispose of opposition teams without much fuss um, and you know yes the first goal came direct from a long throw from Ventosa headed straight in by Sean Long <laughs> um, but Circum got the second goal and it was it was pretty comfortable against the Salford side who have reacted by sacking Richie Wellens, who won this division with Swindon last season, not long before we went on air, George, Genev and the gang, the class of 92, getting towards 92 managers actually now with uh, with Salford. Richie Wellens <laughs> gone. What's your reaction to that? You can see why they, they've made the decision now, um, and it's because Salford were, were very, very poor on Saturday. They created next to nothing. They had a lot of the ball, didn't do much with it. 
Um, and you look at the players that they've got, they should be a lot much better than they are. Um, but I think, again, that is in part down to how good and how well-organised Cheltenham are. And it's it seems a bit harsh for me. Wellens brought in to um, take over a kind of top half mid-table side and take get them promoted. He's leaving them as a as a mid-table side who've had some decent results but haven't improved massively. Um, I, I personally think he was is a manager who I'd like to have given a season or a summer, I should say, to 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 bring in who he wants to bring in and then and then given the season next season. I was quite excited initially when I saw it was reported that a manager would be coming in within 24 hours because it seemed like maybe the reason why they'd done this was because they managed to attract somebody who was quite clearly better than than um, than Wellens. But that seemingly isn't really the case because it sounds like they are about to a point at the time of recording it just after five on, on Monday evening. Um, they're about to appoint Gary Bowyer, which is fine, I guess. You know, he's a manager who's done pretty well in difficult circumstances. He left Bradford after doing okay there, I guess, given what happened afterwards and, and how they fell under after he left. Um, he's a he's a safe pair of hands. Um, but I'm not necessarily sure he's an upgrade in terms of playing style, in terms of what he's already achieved or anything like that on, on uh, Wellens. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit underwhelmed. Yeah, I think not just because Wellens won this division with Swindon last season and that's still quite fresh in our mind, but like, of course it feels too soon to sack a manager that we know can put together a really good League Two side. Um, they've got the eighth most points in the league since he joined. So, I, I mean, we expected him to take them towards the top of the table. He had, you know, he joined fairly early on in the season um, and that hasn't necessarily been the case. Now, they have conceded the fewest goals in the league since he arrived. So they've been very, very good defensively. But we always gave Wellens a lot of credit for how his Swindon team attacked quite you know they, they just had multiple ways of scoring goals and it served them really really well that's not been the case with this Salford side so I'd be interested to know what Wellens would you know what he would put what he would say the challenges were that that, that meant he couldn't get this team firing um, apart from the obvious Covid challenges and lack of training time and I think everyone knows who's watched the documentary that Salford's training pitch situation is not ideal their pitch itself is not ideal at all so I'm sure he would point to a, a lot of conditions that were not necessarily in his favour. But uh, yeah, it, do, it does seem like a bit of a strange one. I mean, he's he's a character, Wellens, who it's not hard to see how he could rub people up the wrong way. And mm. I mean, I, Sulphur fans don't make a ton of noise on social media, if I'm honest. But looking at the responses to the tweet, uh, his interview on the weekend post-match, you know, it wasn't hard to have a feeling that he hasn't really... You know, it hasn't worked out. He hasn't really connected either with the with the fans. They're not really buying into it with with how he has spoken since he's taken the team. But also, they haven't hasn't seen it in terms of performances as well. So, look, I mean, when Alexander got sacked and they hired Wellens, I was I was quite happy to say I don't necessarily have a problem with a board who, as long as they communicate exactly what the target is. And if it's the only target winning promotion, I don't necessarily have a problem with them making a change if they think that they'll give them a better chance of reaching their targets. But then I think the more changes you make, it's almost like the less likely you are. You're not giving anyone the the right backing, the right foundation to actually reach it. So who knows? I mean, they're, they're not a million miles away off the playoffs. So all they need is uh, a run and we might well see Salford in the playoffs. Of course, it was just eight days after he won the Papa John's trophy from last year. 
at Wembley with them. So all a bit weird. Uh, Tranmere beat Exeter in the other uh, one that I build as a big game. I'm fortunate, I think it's fair to say. Tranmere, they they won 2-1 with two penalties. Um, they only had four shots total, including those two penalties. So I think Exeter will feel pretty hard done by here. There, there wasn't a lot in the game. Um, but Tranmere, with a very valuable three points, it puts them level with Forest Green. Forest Green in third, Tranmere in fourth, just goal difference separating those two teams now. So struggling without James Vaughan, for sure, but still in a great position. If Vaughan could be back in the next few weeks, I still don't know what's happening with Do we know? Team. Yeah, no, I was going to say. I still don't know. It's been a bit, been sort of kept under wraps a bit. A couple of other ones to go with. I mean, what else is there to say about Rob Kelly? <laughs> Other than his four wins in a row for Barrow, 96th minute winner, the Barrow owners could not be more justified in sacking Michael Jolly, a sacking that some people thought had come too soon. Can I can I read out what I sent to you again? Yeah. So this these are the updated managerial records of Barrow managers this season. Okay. Mm-hmm. David Dunn. Yeah. Played 18, won two, drew seven, lost nine. Points, 13. Michael Jolly played seven, won one, drew one, lost five, four points. Robert Kelly, former Fortuna Dusseldorf and Malmo assistant manager, played nine, won seven, drew none, lost two, 21 points. If that isn't incredible EFL audio content, then I do not know what is. (laughs) I mean, I'm, I'd be surprised if Uwe isn't messaging him saying, can I come and be your assistant? I'll happily, yeah. I'll happily leave Dusseldorf to come uh, to Barrow and, and, and I be... still just don't even understand how he ended up there. Like, why did he leave Malmo to go and assist David Dunn at Barrow? Having been like a championship and it's one of the... I think it should be a film. Okay, well, let's not chat too loudly you, about you that. You can play Rob Kelly. Okay, I think I'd be better off playing David Dunn, actually. Um, (laughs) um, who who would i be you would be scott quigley yeah i was gonna say actually (laughs) um okay a couple of other things to talk about i'd like to talk about stevenage because um they are doing something very impressive i don't want to go too far but they're doing something very very impressive a stevenage side as if you need reminding who was so bad last season they should be playing in non-league right now were it not for financial issues at Macclesfield Town, they started this season really, really poorly. They had one win by late November when they recorded their second win. But now it's all changed. They they just don't concede any goals under Alex Ravel, which is quite fun. They went over 10 hours without conceding before the weekend when Carlisle got one in what was a 3-1 win for Stevenage. Um, they started 2021 in the relegation zone and now they are only two points off the top half, uh, currently in 15th. So, you know, we, we've spoken before about how they suffered a an historic uh, poor run of finishing over about 18 months. But uh, but now the goals are flying in. No, that's wrong to say they're flying in because they they're still not prolific, it's fair to say. But um, with the defensive solidity that they've developed... Uh, and a and a better conversion rate. They uh, they could easily finish in the top half now, and that'd be an amazing achievement. And you know what, Alex Ravel, if they achieve that, we need to start speaking about in more glowing terms. I think that's the royal we, not just us, George, because I know you've said lots of nice things about him. Yeah. Now Bolton two, Walsall one, Harrogate nil, Morecambe one. Anything to in those games that we wouldn't necessarily have said before? It feels like uh, it's kind of more of the same for those two teams in great nick and in the playoff places yeah 
Paul Bolton just seems to be one of those teams at the moment who just, you know, they're, they're very good and they're doing what they're doing completely on merit. So I'm not taking anything away, but they have that knack at the moment where things aren't going for them. Things just shift and go their way. I mean, that, that red card uh, and then the penalty just at a time where they really needed it, staring down the barrel against a, a Warsaw side who've been so poor. Um, Bolton just seemed to be a team from earlier in the season who who couldn't really find a way to win. Now I just seem to be have total belief that they're able to do so at all times. And um, a massive game for them coming up away at Forest Green because win that and then they're properly, properly in the mix. You know when... Ian Everett said that Bolton were, he thought, the best team in League Two uh, around Christmas time when they were in the bottom half and everyone mm. laughed at him. Mm. Turns out mm. he's he's quite the prophet, it turns out. I know I, I know you've got your I know you've got your thoughts on whether or not they're the best team in the league, but you know what I'm saying. It's it's you have to hand it to him because uh, he got a lot of pelters for a lot of stuff that he said that people didn't like in the first half of this season. And, uh, yeah. you know, there's not much you can say right now because it's uh, it could barely be going any better. Uh, there was a big win for Orient, that their first under Joby McEnough. It was also the first time he had chosen himself to play in the team. So I'm not sure how much credit Joby's given him, giving himself for that win. I'd be giving a lot of credit to Dan Kemp, uh, who has assisted their last three goals. Um, they picked him up where he he was quite a highly rated young player at, at West Ham that, you know, like so many others, just probably didn't really have a pathway to the first team. So he, he joins Orient age 22 and I think making up for lost time. Um, mm. I remember Jay Blades Analytic uh, giving me a nod when he saw that signing and said, this is a, you know, he's a player that I really like. I think he's going to be good for Orient and he's, he's growing into it. He, you know, he's a creative ball carrying attacking player. Um, who can who who has a you know has a goal threat probably not the quickest but um, yeah one to watch certainly for Orient uh, and then Cole you nil Port Vale one Devante Rodney with his second winning goal in the space of a week any relegation fears that Vale had have been eased ever so slightly with those back to back wins they're now uh, ten points above the drop zone and Daryl Clark getting his first two wins as Vale manager so they can almost start. You know, just looking ahead and planning for next season rather than nervously looking below them. Brilliant goal, by the way, for Devante Rodney, who's, uh, you know, at times in flashes this season, been a bit of a bright spot for Vale. So I'd, I'd like to challenge him to back that up with a strong season next season. If he can do what he does on the weekend more regularly, then he won't be long for League Two, that's for sure. But Cole Yu, I'd say it's one of your best, one of the best things you've done this season. Cole Yu fans might not agree, but you called them being bad so long ago like Thank so you. long ago they've won <laughs> one league game in 20 unbelievable isn't it and yet they They're still just... probably won't get relegated like pro- well, probability well. wise i think we're still i don't think we've passed 50 percent probability on them being relegated yet yeah i, I probably agree <laughs> i mean that's that that that's the nature of of league two mm. um nature or i mean they're Nature. Nietzsche, actually. <laughs> Friedrich. Um, I just, I mean, South End kind of baffle me a bit because every time I think they're actually turning out to be okay, they physically forget how to score. Um, <clears throat> and then if Colchester were sucked into it, what's stopping Walsall from being sucked into it as well? Apart from the fact they're effectively two points clear of them at the moment because of goal difference and that one point. Um, I mean, Grimsby are the one side who I think with, with a lick of paint here and there could have got their way out of it. 
because their last four performances have been so much better. Um, they have hit the woodwork later on against Mansfield on the weekend to win 3-2. So due to all. Linnell John Lewis has missed two really, really good opportunities to score against Colchester, which would have been a massive result. And against Tranmere, which would have been an unlikely result, but all the same, a huge three points. You know, Paul Hurst has, has managed to make them much, much better defensively. And there's enough time in the season left, 11 games, where if Grimsby can just start getting that ball to break their way, as they have done, you know, it's been, I'd argue they've been hard, even though they scored a very late equaliser, I'd argue they've been hard done by in their run of form at the moment to stop them from being closer. Then that means there are two relegation spots again. And Colchester could easily finish the season just with a couple more points than they've got at the moment. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not 50%, but it's... um, yeah, it's pretty. Uh, it's pretty close. Well, I don't know. It's it's not over yet. I, I still think there's, there's life in South End and Grimsby yet. If Grimsby got sixteen points from eleven games, right, then they'd have forty four points. Now that's only six more probably than Colchester. You have now Pro- probably enough though. That's six points in ten for Colchester. Uh, this, we're at yeah, this stage of the season now. So they'd, they'd, have to, they'd have to really turn it on, Colchester, to get that. <laughs> we could do a whole pod, right, with no match analysis, where we just look at various points totals and games played and points per game. Do you want to go, you want to go back to 2017 then? And just start like projecting <laughs> and, and just making no sense whatsoever. Probably be a better live stream than it would uh, an actual pod itself. Uh, guys, that's it for, for this week's Not The Top 20 podcast. Quite a confusing but delightful weekend in the EFL which we've attempted to uh, break down for you we just want to leave you with a reminder that not this weekend but next weekend Easter weekend there is a really 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 exciting um, sort of campaign being run by the Skybet EFL Rewards app that sponsor this podcast it's an Easter campaign and it involves winning the ultimate prize bundle if you are good at predicting the results of League One or League Two or championship football matches. Um, At the top of each league's predictor leaderboard, after the games on Good Friday, on Easter Monday, and on Saturday the 12th, the winner will win a prize bundle including £1,000 cash, a signed shirt, that Papa John's big match bundle worth £28.99, a replica EFL match ball, and a football manager digital code as well. So that'll be nine winners in total. Uh, one for each league per round and three rounds of fixtures. So please do download the Skybet EFL Rewards app. Plenty of chances to win. Check into your team's games this midweek and you could win a prize as well. Thank you so much for listening to us. We'll be back in the second half of the week, the Totally Football League show, extra time and with a betting show as well. Go out. Well.